So uh, this morning we continue our series on welcome to the party. For those of you who are guests this morning and maybe um, haven't heard some of the other messages, what we're understanding is that um, in the book of Acts, which is one of the New Testament books that tells the story of the early church, we hear from God's word that he started something Um, very uh, incredible, new, exciting in the world that remains to this day, perhaps the most powerful um, uh, thing in the world, and that is the church. And the church that um, we are a part of here at the river that is the larger sort of universal church that spreads across the world lives into this joy experience through the presence and the power of Jesus Christ and the equipping of the Holy Spirit um, that we think of as this joyful gathering, a celebration each time that we come together that we're calling a party. That we should be a people that um, we party better than anyone else because we have that thing, the presence and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, which is better than any other thing on the planet. And if we have something that is better than anything on the planet, then our parties should be the best parties. So we're going through the book of Acts, understanding more about that this morning. This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. And as we um, get ready to hear the power of God's words for our lives, I want to ask Landon Kern forward. Landon is going to pray on your behalf that God meets us during our time, that God equips us, that God challenges us, that God encourages us with his presence. Landon. Let's pray. God, you are an amazing father. And this morning we pray that through Pastor Scott's message that you will just embrace us and squeeze us tight and to help us to learn what it is that you want us to know about your love so we can leave this place and, and put your love on display for all to see. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You got that bass voice, Landon. You're like a future voice of God, like Bill Beerling. You know, like we have. I'm, I'm excited for that. I have a couple favorite holidays over the course of the year, and I'm sure all of you have your favorites. Maybe you really like Christmas, or maybe you get really excited about your birthday, or uh, for me, in, in my family, and sort of the tradition of about the last 15 or 20 years, the two holidays that uh, I, I like the best are uh, 4th of July and Thanksgiving, which is hilarious that I like 4th of July because I am Canadian, and um, It doesn't make any sense. Actually, Canada Day is July 1st, so I expect gifts in my office on July 1st this year uh, for Canada Day. But for for whatever reason, actually, I I know the reason. Uh, We actually had a family um, in, in the city that we lived in that invited us over to be a big part of their celebrations on 4th of July and Thanksgiving. But over the years, those, those traditions and those things have just become really important to us. And if you think about why we um, gather for those days, first of all, for 4th of July, we celebrate um, uh, this country. Uh, we celebrate um, sort of the freedom that we experience. We celebrate the independence that we experience as a country. Um, and it's, in essence, our country's birthday. And that's a, that's a good reason to celebrate. Thanksgiving is even more important, uh, in my mind at least, because it is where we live into a life of gratitude, which as a pastor and as a Reformed pastor is sort of that stage of us understanding grace and then we live in gratitude. So Thanksgiving, to me, represents 
that living into our faith and knowledge of the grace and love of Jesus Christ. But another huge part of both of those days is something that I also really love, and that is food, right? And so 4th of July, you have your little traditions. We have a tradition uh, that we've just sort of experienced the last couple of years with a family in this church, and we do some stuff together, and we have food together, and it's just a lot of fun. And on Thanksgiving, we always try to have a house full over at our house, and I deep fry a turkey or do something with the turkey, and make, make a lot of stuff, and Kristen puts out a great spread, and how, how the house is, uh, how, she, how we show hospitality. It's always just a fun day. But the most important thing is that we know and we understand on those two days the reason why we celebrate. And that just makes it that much of a better experience. Our focus during the course of those two days that just speaks to my heart is, is the reason that we do it. We celebrate one day for, because of freedom. We celebrate another day because of thanksgiving. And because those are the reasons for those days, you can just experience that much more of a fullness and joy. The church in the book of Acts is discovering the reason why they party and why they celebrate. And that's still a new thing for them to understand. Remember that as we approach the book of Acts, that before the book of Acts, there, I mean, Jesus was in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But really, um, people didn't understand what was going to happen after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and ascension and all those things. And so they didn't really know or understand, how do we do this? How do we live into this new thing that's going on? And especially with the coming of the Holy Spirit, they're starting to learn more and they're starting to learn more. In this part of Acts chapter 3, Peter becomes sort of the mouthpiece of why they do what it is that they do as a church. He helps them understand as a community what it is that they're supposed to do. It's one of the reasons why, and in case you, you didn't know this, Peter is understood as the first pope. And the Pope, and I'm talking even the Catholic Church Pope, the, the Pope today lives sort of in the heritage of the first Pope being Peter. And that's because he becomes the mouthpiece of the reason that the church exists. Jump with me into Acts chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 11. Is that where we are? Do I have this wrong? Oh, <laughs> I have a different book. Okay. That's helpful. I'll get there. I didn't ask you to talk amongst yourselves. Good grief. All right. We're almost there. Bad eyes and fat fingers. All right. Acts chapter 3, first two verses. While the men, while the man held on to Peter, and if you look before, you find out it was a, a beggar who was lame, who Peter held, or Peter healed, and this man is hanging on to Peter and John. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you see the healing of this man who was lame before, that why does it surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power 
or godliness, we made this man walk. So remember, early church. And before really this time, the disciples had been in the presence of healing. Christ had been the great great healer, right? And they'd had even moments where they'd been able to participate in healing. But with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, the power is made full and complete in them through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they can begin to live into the work that Christ had been a part of in his activity. And so all the people were seeing this, and they got excited. But the question is, why did they get excited? I mean, they, the, the, the word says here that they were astonished, right? Well, here's the challenge. And this is the challenge that Peter acknowledges right from the very beginning. If you look back in all the Gospels when Christ did miracles, what word are you going to hear that describes the people? They were astonished. So they're going to then look at what Peter and John are doing and the rest of the disciples are doing with sort of that same mindset. It's like this is the Jesus show 2.0. Except it's not Jesus. He had all this power. He had all these miraculous things that he did. And now he's given that power to his disciples. So we can sit back and watch the show now in Peter and John. So much so that they're holding on to them. Eventually we see later on in Acts that people worship them because they've seen this power. But Peter's having none of it. He's having absolutely none of it. Because first of all, Peter knows two things. Peter knows that without Jesus, he is incapable of doing anything that he's doing. And the second thing that he knows is how good was Jesus' miraculous works at converting people to saving knowledge of him in the Gospels. Wasn't always effective. Sure, some came to know and acknowledge the grace of Jesus Christ because of the miraculous healings, because of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Because of the different things that Jesus could do, like walking on water. But really, the power of God is not simply through those miraculous works. It's a part of it. But Peter wants the people to hear and be clear about the fact that this is not the fullness of what you're looking for. You want me to heal beggars. You want me to heal lepers. You want me to make the blind see. But if that's all you're looking for, then you're just looking for a shadow of the fullness of what can be. Because you need to look for Jesus. And those are his words. Those are his words in 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and the righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him 
as you can all see. Peter immediately becomes some sort of mirror or reflector. If the people are going to worship or the people are going to praise him or the people are going to say to him, you've done these great things, Peter's going to make it clear right away, deflection, no, it's Jesus. It's the cross. It's God the Father equipping us through Jesus to become these things for us who are lame to be able to walk, for us who are blind to be able to see, for us who are sick to be able to be well. He is immediately saying, this is God's work in Jesus Christ. And we need to learn from that. Because so often, sometimes our arrogance, and one of the problems that I have is I spend too much time around pastors. And sometimes that is a bad thing. Because I can hear, pastors are, by the way, in case you didn't know, pastors are just like all of you people. We have all the same sort of stuff in our lives. We're certainly not perfect. But some pastors that I know believe that they are um, more perfect than others. I've met them. Sometimes I can be them. We don't deflect the grace, the power the glory of God back to Jesus enough. And all of us need to hear that sometimes. Because pride is certainly one of the most powerful sins in our lives. For us to hear how, like, we, we say, oh, things are going great. Why are they going great, friends? So often, for you to understand, for me to understand, that when there is good in our lives, when there is blessing, when there is the experience of of. of plenty or lots of good things. Certainly we can pat ourselves in the back. We can be encouraged. We can think, oh, I've worked really hard for this. But that's not why it happened. It always happens because of the grace of Jesus Christ. It always happens because of the power of God in our lives. And what's interesting is Peter's method of confronting the people with their pride. What does he do? Like, frankly, it's verbally this. Oof. Read the words. Read what he says. He says, you disowned the holy and righteous one. You asked a murderer to be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. He is really getting into the face of these people in Solomon's colonnade, which is part of the temple, by the way, a place where Jesus often taught. And he's right in their face. He's not mincing words. He's helping them see this is what you have been a part of. You've been a part of rejecting the one who offers you every blessing. You have been a part of, through the things that you have done, the life that you have lived, you have been a part of taking the truth, calling it a lie, and throwing it out the door. But here's who God is. Peter gives them the lifeline. How many of you need a lifeline? We all do, right? Peter is offering it. In a sense, he's saying to you and to I what he's saying to these people. Because he's saying to these people, you messed up, but God is bigger than your mess-ups. Now internalize that. Matt, you messed up this week? God offers you another chance. He will do that every time. 
Dale, you messed up this week? God offers you another chance. And that is true of all of us in this room. Peter is, is he's speaking those words of grace to all of us that says, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, and friends, I ask you, even for a moment, don't go too deep because it can be discouraging and even depressing and certainly hurtful. But go this week into those places where the darkness has come. Go into those places this week where your weakness has moved you towards independence from God, what we call sin. Go just for a second into those words that you've spoken, thoughts that you've had, actions that you have committed. Because what Peter is doing to the people here is he is catching them in their guilt. You ever had one of those moments? You ever had one of those moments? I remember being a kid. Confession time. Um, my mom was a Sunday school teacher. And she got offerings for Sunday school every Sunday. And she put them in this pencil case or pencil bag that she had. And she'd take that pencil bag home from church and she would put it into her top sock drawer. I found out about that. And people gave a lot of quarters for the offering. Well, I was a kid in the early 80s, mid-80s. You know what else came out in the early mid-80s that needed quarters? Video games. So I wanted to go play video games at the local arcade, which my mom and dad had told me completely and utterly, do not go to the arcade. So I would go and... Um, it was always borrow. You ever had that? You're going to borrow something, whether or not you actually bring it back. So I borrowed some quarters. Actually, I borrowed a lot of quarters. Over some days and months, I borrowed a lot of quarters. And one day, my mom, I didn't know it. She had been sitting on the other side of the bed, and I didn't see her. I snuck into her bedroom, and I opened the sock drawer, and I zip open the pencil bag and I reach in and grab four or five, six quarters. She says, what are you doing? And that moved us to about a 10 minute long, 15 minute long conversation that went something like this. I know you've been taking the money. And there was nowhere to hide. And nowhere to go. And in that moment, of course, you feel that pit in your gut. You feel that Oh, I stink. I'm horrible. But she's mom, right? She loves me. So we walked through, and there were consequences. I think it was grounding. I think it was doing some more housework, that sort of thing. There was repayment that I had to do with my paper route. But because I knew my guilt, I could receive her love in a very different way. That's what Peter's doing. He is confronting the people with their guilt. He is speaking to them that moment of darkness, of sin, of independence from God. And he is saying to them, acknowledge your moment. So that this moment of love where the lifeline comes is something that you can hear. Because if we do not acknowledge our own brokenness, our own sin, our own weakness, our own independence from God, then really the grace and the love of Jesus Christ does not have the same power. Friends, 
I'm not asking you to stay there long. But I am encouraging you in the days and in the weeks ahead to maybe jump into those moments. And when they come, to acknowledge them what they are. Breaking the heart of God who offers you so much more so that you then might receive the lifeline of the grace and the love of Jesus Christ in a new, powerful, redemptive, and transformative way. That's what happens when we are truly confronted with our own sin. Peter continues, verse 17. says this, Now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then. And turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send to you the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Peter is giving the people an opportunity to step out of, and this is a key word, ignorance. Ignorance is a word that simply means they didn't know nor understand. And friends, this morning, God is offering you the same lifeline out of your ignorance. Your, I didn't know or understand the full consequence of my actions, my thoughts, my words, that thing, I didn't understand it. Christ is offering to you that same lifeline that Peter offered to the people. In his words, He points them clearly. It's that deflection again. He's that mirror. He points them clearly to Jesus. You want to see more people walk? Look at him. You want to see more people see? Look at him. You want to yourself be healed from your brokenness? Look at Jesus. There's no other way. He calls them then to repentance, verse 19 And then obedience, verse 22, where he says this. He says, you must listen to everything he tells you. But then he also gives them a warning. Warning, verse 23, says this. It says, anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Friends, some of you are hearing this morning your lifeline. And I don't know if it's cutoff time. I don't know when pruning time is. Because I, I think that's actually true sometimes. I think that God gives opportunity. He gives hundreds of opportunities. Even thousands of opportunities of, for people to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. To acknowledge and live into that truth. To not, no longer grieve the Holy Spirit by rejecting the truth of the gospel. God gives that opportunity hundreds, even thousands of times. But eventually there is that moment of cut-offness. And I don't know when that moment is. That's why God is God, praise God, and I'm not. But sometimes the question that we have to ask is, when is the cutoffness? I was just talking to Judy this morning. 
and her husband, Jim, went to be with Jesus earlier this week. And one of the great blessings, as Judy says, we came back. About a year and a half ago or so, they came back. They hadn't been a part of the community of faith. They hadn't been a part of the church for a long time. Jim had his own stuff. He had his own journey. But he came back. And I praise God for that. Because on Monday, if he hadn't come back, I, is that the cutoff time? Is that the pruning time? And the truth is, friends, that by the time we gather next week, there may be people in this room who will not have an opportunity to come back for whatever reason. Or the Lord may not tarry. This week might be the week, friends. There's a part of me that says, praise God, although I'd like to wait after the wedding. That'll be a fun day. I'm looking forward to that. But it might be the time. And for us to ask that question, because the party is here. The celebration is offered. The reason that we party is clearly and ultimately and always Jesus And we don't know when that opportunity ends. So let me make it abundantly clear. The grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ is offered to every single one of you. Receive it today. If you don't know how, come on up here. Don Bierman will be up here after the service. I can guarantee you Don would have no greater joy than to walk you through what it means to know the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'll be up here as well. If we have some other prayer folks who want to come up here and be a part of that, we'd love to do it with you. But hear me here. If you miss it, I don't know when the cutoff time is. But I certainly know you're missing the party. Verse 24. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. You are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So Peter is speaking. This is Jewish temple. Only Jews are allowed in the temple. So he's speaking to Jewish listeners. But he's speaking, excuse me, speaking this truth to us too. Because we together are a part of the legacy of Christ, friends. We're the church, right? We are part of the church. This is the legacy of Christ in the world. Frankly, friends, we are the hope of the world. Not just the river. I mean the full and complete people of God, the the church. We are the hope of the world. Do you realize how much of a privilege that is? This world is messed up. How many of you can agree with that? All of you put up your hands, all right? We can see all the stuff on social media, on television. We can hear the news. We can watch the stuff going on everywhere around the world. And we realize things are messed up. Where is our hope? Look in the mirror. It's you. It's me. It's us. This is the hope of the world. We want to know and understand how to change the world Profess the name of Jesus. Live into the hope of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Don't look at your neighbor as just a nice person who needs to make sure his dog doesn't do his thing on your front lawn. Look at him as a person who desperately needs the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And maybe he already knows it. 
Or maybe she already knows it. But you know what they can know? They can know that they're a part of something bigger. You can get together. You can say, hey, we've got neighbors. We can pray for them. We can encourage them. We can have a block party. I have a good idea. July 4th, have a block party. And you have food and you have gathering. And you don't make it high pressure. But maybe you have one or two conversations about who Jesus is and you say, you know what, today's a good day. It's about freedom. Let me tell you about the great freedom I know because of the grace of Jesus Christ. For us to live into that. Because, friends, if we are the hope of the world, if we don't do our job, what does the world have? No hope us. It's one of the reasons why Project Redlands was over at Lagonia this week. It's one of the reasons why we want to be a part of, of safe families. It's a reason why we want to be a part of Care Portal. It's a reason why we are involved in Christian education. It's a reason why we go to, uh, down to Mexico to serve orphanages through MCCA. It's the reason why we do everything that we do because we want the world to know and hear there's a party here our host is Jesus. The reason we party is Jesus. And he gives us the best reason to party that anyone could ever know. And if we're not doing that, then we're missing out. Then this is just a nice little private country club. And friends, unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that are like that. It's a nice little social gathering. Every time, and I'm... I'm, you can admonish me. Elgersma at the rivercrc.com. Okay, that's my email. Elgersma at the rivercrc.com. If there's ever a Sunday that you come in here and you don't hear about the hope of Jesus Christ, you email me on Monday in no uncertain terms. You say, where was the reason to party? Because if we don't do that, then we're not doing what we were called to do by Christ. By Peter in this passage, we're not hearing it. We're not living into it. We're missing out on the great privilege. We are privileged to be a part of God's people. And if we miss out on the privilege, we miss out on the great blessing. Let me tell you about two people that are privileged in our world, or at least in some categories. Anybody know who Floyd Mayweather is? He's a boxer. He's right now, I just saw a list, he is the highest paid athlete in the world. Last year, he made somewhere north of $50 million just boxing. And I think he had one match, Mike? One. He boxed once, and he made over $50 million. One of the challenges with Floyd Mayweather is how he lives into the privilege of all that money. If you do anything, uh, like look on social media, if you type Floyd May Mayweather, you're probably generally not going to come up with glowing articles about how he goes to orphanages to sm save small children. You're going to hear about the strip clubs that he's a part of in Las Vegas. You're going to hear about the money that he spends elaborately on, I think, like two, three million dollar cars. You're going to hear about people that he pays, um, pays off because of, of children that he may or may not have or scandals that he may or may not have to deal with. It's rather unfortunate because he has all the privilege in the world. There's a part of me that's really frustrated because he's a West Michigan guy, Grand Rapids guy. He would have hoped that something would have rubbed off around there, right? Then there's this other guy. Who knows who J.J. Watt is? 
NFL, uh, what is it, Houston Texans, he's a linebacker, I believe. We all know about the story of Houston and, uh, and southeastern Texas last year with all the floods, with all the stuff. If you, didn't hear the, if you didn't see the story, it was a powerful story. I remember seeing it first come on. Right after the rain started on ESPN, they had this thing. They showed the Twitter account of J.J. Watt, and he said, I'm a Houston guy. I love this part of the world. I want to help. I am opening up a, a, uh, an account for you to donate to families who are in desperate need. Right now, there are families whose homes are destroyed. There are people who are looking for their children. There are children looking for their parents. People need help all over the place. We need, we need food. We need clothing. We need better shelter. We need all these different things. And he was saying, I hope, I hope that you will donate. I have set a goal of $500,000, and I myself am donating $100,000 to begin. There's a goal of $500,000 that I'd like to build. Really quick, can somebody go out, go on to their smartphone, ask this question, how much did J.J. Watt raise for Houston? I want to say you're going to come up with this. It's somewhere north of $50 million. Over the course of the next month, because this guy, he wasn't just on his Twitter account saying, come. He was at the shelters. He was in the back of trucks unloading them. He was going into places, bringing jerseys to sign for kids who needed hope. He made sure that there were people all over the place who knew that there was hope, knew that there was someone who cared for them. And he could do this because his house was dry. He had a lot of money. He could protect stuff. He could take care of stuff. But he lived into the blessing of his privilege. And that privilege had great power. It changed communities. I can tell you right this right now. Someday you will hear about J.J. Watt being voted into the Hall of Fame of the NFL. And it really doesn't even matter what he does in the football field at this point. He will be considered one of the greatest football players ever for the simple reason that he cares about people. Friends, listen to me. J.J. Watt has money. Floyd Mayweather has money. We get Jesus. We get Jesus. Frankly, I'd trade all that money for Jesus in a second. Which means we have the greatest privilege known to humanity. The question becomes, how do we live into the privilege? Do we squander it? Do we hold it? Do we keep it to ourselves? Do we become a frozen, chosen country club who just keeps our mouth closed because we're worried about insulting or, or you know, getting in fights with people because they don't want to hear about our faith? We have the hope of the world in Jesus Christ, friends. That is the greatest privilege we could ever know. The call to us today is to go out and speak it, to share it, to live it, so the world might know it too. Would you pray with me? Hope of the world in Jesus Christ, we are so grateful for the privilege that you have given us. You've given us the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've given us the saving knowledge of Jesus. You've given us the story. You've given us a community to live into that knowledge and understanding. You've given us opportunity 
time and time again, lifeline after lifeline to say, here is your hope, here is your life, here is the truth, here is more grace. I forgive you. Now turn, turn, repent of what you have done before. You've done that over and over and over again for us. We are so grateful for that gift and that privilege. And Lord, we pray you will equip us through the power of Jesus' name to be trumpets to the world. To be megaphones of the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because without it, we have nothing. But with it, we have everything. And we are hope for the world. Equip us to be that hope. Lord, I I, I speak to those now, Lord. I ask that you speak to those now who do not know Christ, who do not live in that knowledge, who do not live in that gratitude. Lord, may you speak deeply to their hearts, transform their hearts, move them beyond complacency, move them beyond their own stubbornness, move them beyond their own independence from you, that they might learn the truth, and that truth is that you have changed everything. You ask us to believe, and then you ask us to live into that belief so that the world may know. Equip us to that end in Jesus' name. Amen.